0: Have you ever heard somebody say that salad dressing was amazing, or that baseball game was amazing, or maybe um, what an amazing movie? The word amazing is used everywhere, and maybe some of us use it. It's amazing, and then we attribute amazing, you know, to things like food and games and maybe uh, outing. But when you have a conversation, as Reverend Boyce. Uh, a retired minister observed when you bring up grace no one says amazing the only time we hear amazing grace is in a song when you say uh how about God's grace people go oh that's nice I'm just thankful for that but no one invokes amazing and I, I wonder why that is and I wonder if it's because for a lot of us we we may not understand why grace is amazing John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace, John Newton, and he was a slave trader, wretched man, (laughs) drunk, uh, got into fights, just hated people, hated God, and then through slave trading, he almost drowned, and then in that belly of a ship, he's pumping out water, he encountered just the verses that he learned as a child his mom taught him, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit just grabbed a hold of him and said, God, if you're real, save me, and he was saved, and then he went on to become a minister and wrote Amazing Grace. And he captures why grace is amazing. Not salad dressing, not a song, but grace. And you all know this, by the way. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, okay? Why? Because that saved a wretch like me. Why is grace amazing to John Newton? because he understands he's been saved by grace from what from his wretchedness and his blindness you see grace is amazing for us when we recognize our condition that i am not a good person i am wretched and god you have every right to just destroy me but yet by his grace he's giving me a chance and that's why for john it's amazing so, in Ephesians two, Paul gets real. we 're going through Ephesians, and it 's a letter, and he starts in chapter one with from God 's perspective, how God knew you before you were even born blows my mind, and he saved you even before you were able to go to church. He, he has it in plan, and if you didn 't have god 's grace, you could not have found life by yourself. So he goes to chapter two of Ephesians and he gets real here. So here's what Paul says. There's two main issues that I want to highlight that Paul is saying. We have two problems here. It's not, it's not something that's improved yourself. It's, we got two legitimate problems. Verse two, 1 of chapter 2. As for you, can you say it with me? You were dead. Okay, let's just stop right there. <laughs> Paul gets real. He doesn't say, as for you, you're miseducated. As for you, you're unsophisticated. As for you, Jason, your greatest need, you're you're pretty immature. You need to grow up. What is our problem? People, let's say it's a four-letter word. What is our problem that Paul is highlighting spiritually? We are dead. Last I recall, dead people can't save themselves. You know, when you're dead, you don't resuscitate yourself. When you're dead, you don't slap on a, a cloth and say, come on, get over it, let's get up. You know, I remember I shared this with you, maybe. I was growing up in middle school, and I saw a Hyundai xl the first car that koreans made sold in america four thousand dollar car and i saw it in high school middle school high school where someone took the logo and they put a mercedes-benz emblem on the hood it was hilarious and i you know mercedes-benz you see this four thousand dollar hyundai xl driving by does that transform the car no it doesn't transform the car at all all you did was you slapped something on it it doesn't improve the car. Um, in high school, we had a joke if you get the word turbo sticker and put it on your car, it gives you 10 horsepower. And some people would say, Really? <laughs> you see, when something is dead, like you and I, born into sin, dead before God, unable to find righteousness, we don't improve our lives by trying harder. So I, I want to tell you. When you're dead, you don't say, well, start going to church, and maybe that'll make you alive. We're dead. So Paul is saying we are dead in our sins. We're dead. And and a lot of us will say, well, I don't feel dead. And here's how we know we're dead. There is this fancy terminology, which you don't have to go into detail, but it's called total depravity. And our deadness means that everything we think and do is distorted. Total depravity is this idea that sin has corrupted our relationships how many of you have seen A Perfect Relationship? Our minds, our hearts, our emotions. So for as an example, this is how total depravity works. We are people of God. We're worshiping God. But this is how total depravity still corrupts this. We're worshiping who? God. Who are we here for? God. But you will hear, even amongst Christians, that worship didn't do anything for me. And even in that well-intended setting where we're trying to worship God, who is the center of it? If we're honest, it's us. And that's how total depravity creeps in. Worship is good, Jason. We should worship. Absolutely. But how does sinfulness of man get in? We make it about us. Even as Christians, this disease lingers. So Paul is saying we have a dead problem. We have an issue. It's not about becoming better. It's not about becoming better. And a lot of us, we don't get grace because we think tr- Christianity is about happiness in life. If you want to be happy, go to church and God will bless you. He'll give you healthiness. He'll give you wealth. He'll, if you're sick, God will provide you health. So this is what the world is saying to the church. I have a job. I'm pretty happy. I have a nice car. My kids are good. I don't need Jesus. You can keep your religion to yourself. I don't really need grace because I'm already happy as I am. I'm finding meaning in other things. So church is scratching our head and saying, why would they not come to us? Because they're not looking for happiness, and Jesus didn't come to give us happiness. He came because we were dead. Friends, if you don't understand this, we don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are dead people. You can't religion out of it. You can't improve out of it. You can't study out of it were dead so Paul goes on and he says this is the evidence you were dead in your sin and transgressions in which you used to live so he's talking to the church you used to live like that but here's some evidence when you follow the ways of the world evidence of sinfulness we follow the ways of the world what does the world say well they have to say it's more important than what God has to say that's how dead people live well what's the popular thought well I like to go with what the world is saying well, as everyone says, having sex is good, and, you know, just sleep around, and if you feels good, and move on, and I, I guess it's okay. And we make up our own values based on what the culture says, and we follow the ways of the world. And Paul goes on, and we follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's referring to the adversary, Satan. We are suckered and lured by Satan, left and right. Why? Because we have no barometer. We just kind of were like dust. So um, N.T. Wright, Bishop N.T. Wright, he's 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 a retired bishop from England. He says this, we live in a world where human beings left to themselves, like if we were just to live the way we were, which we are, not only choose the wrong direction, but remain cheerfully confident that it is, in fact, the right one. So what he's saying is in our sinfulness, we not only choose a wrong, but when we choose it, we say... I like this way better than the right way. (laughs) And that's the depravity of man. Um, One of my favorite books, how many of you have read Lord of the Flies? One of my favorite, all-time favorite books, and I love the human uh, editorial on it. When you take out institution and structure, and you let kids be the way they are, eventually we all have the capacity of barbarism, barbaric acts. We all have the These private school, smart kids left alone to the cravings of their heart. We become monsters. So he goes on, and that's what he's saying. All of us, verse 3, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful desires. Now, that is the epitome of deadness. If it feels good, do whatever you want. Can you imagine being married to a, a guy or a girl? who live their life based on whatever they want to do, how happy do you think your marriage will be? I want to get married to you, but you let me do whatever I want, anytime I want, and you will be happy with it. Can I marry you? <laughs> Can you imagine going to a baseball team, and I coached the baseball team this year, where the coaches do whatever they want, as long as they feel like it. Can you imagine living in a society where people are unleashed? Their cravings and desires of their mind, and they act it out. You know what we call those people if they do that? We have a terminology for that: sociopaths. And then this is what we say, Jason. Whoa, whoa! I'm not perfect, but I'm, I ain't a sociopath. And and this is what this is what Paul is saying though is, but here's a problem: you have the potential of it in your heart. It is laced. So Tim Keller defines sin this way. Um, Sin fundamentally is seeking to establish self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship to God. In other words, sin is making anything more important to give you meaning and purpose than God. He says, sin is failure to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and strength. In other words, if you live according to loving God and loving your neighbor, you will probably be a pleasant person to be around. You are not going to be a sociopath. The antidote is not, let me be moral, but the antidote is what is driving your purpose and value? Um, let me just give you some examples of when we, when we see humanity, people do whatever they want. Um, when people live in selfishness um, and they, they feel better than other people because they have more money, we call that classism. I am more important than you, those poor, pathetic, rich, poor people. I am better. We call that classism. What happens when you think you're better by ethnicity than anyone else? We call that racism. My people are more important than your people. Those people are, are pathetic and they're not important. By the way, that is the propaganda that Hitler used to his German people to say Jews are not even people. They're roaches. They're causing this. And that feeding dehumanizes people and leads to genocide. You know, um, I was having a conversation just this year, real person, and they said to me, Jason, I gotta admit, we need to bring segregation back. It's better for the black people if we segregate. It's better for them. I said, what? And we live in a society where we still have this idea that I am better and I know better for you because I am Korean or I am Anglo or I am you know, Asian or I'm African-American. And we all have this potential to feel we're superior. This is the depravity of man, that we feel superior because of our ethnicity, because of our selfishness. And this is why Paul is saying this, these things are the evidence that we are dead. So that's the first problem we have, that we are simply dead people. We're not trying to get religious, guys. We're not trying to get better. The problem is, before Christ, we stand dead. We can't help ourselves. We can't contribute to righteousness. Uh, the Bible actually says our good deeds are like filthy rags to God. So you can't work your way off. So Paul goes on, verse 3. So all of us who lived upon one time, gratifying the great cravings of our sinful nature, and following his desires... Next verse, like the rest, we were, church and out, we were by nature of objects of wrath. In other words, here's a second problem. Paul is saying because we have sin, we have a second problem. If God is fair, you know what God should do? He should destroy sin and evil. That's what Paul is saying. God's wrath is upon evil. How many of you ever saw the news and said, don't raise your hand, but, you know, I'm just asking rhetorically. God, I wish you would stop this evil. Two days ago, we just had a shooting in Santa Barbara. God, I wish you would just one day stop this evil. And God is saying, I have and I will. But here's the problem. When I lump evil because I am a holy God and I'm perfect and good and loving and sinless, guess who you are? You are evil. Sinful, not perfect, unholy. So God has this dilemma. If we want God to destroy evil, here's the problem. Guess who's evil? By nature, I stand before God as evil. So how does God destroy evil without destroying you or I? And that's the dilemma. And Paul is saying, rightfully, God's wrath is upon us. And I want to just share something really quick here. There's, when you hear the word wrath, you, I don't know if people picture this God like... So angry, zap, you know, because we picture human wrath. How many of you, you know, grew up with teachers or parents who had showed wrath? Ah! And here's a good theology um, from it's my, uh, a Christian. He has a blog named Michael, Michael Hudman. I love how he says it. Wrath is defined as the emotional response to perceived wrong and injustice. Did you just, you know, let your dog poop on my lawn? you know? often translated as anger or indignation, vexation or irritation. Both humans and God express wrath. Road rage. But he says this, this is so profound, but there is vast difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of man. God's wrath is holy and always justified. Man's is never holy and rarely justified. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 9 do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay in other words we are because we're distorted we never have a right to express wrath because we are always probably coming from sinful source even when you feel justified I was I just watching news about road rage this lady like so an old lady and who cut her off and the lady just slammed her truck into her car and they flipped over on the side and it was caught on camera and she goes like she just got me mad yeah <laughs> human wrath it's not out of righteousness it's out of vexation and irritation god's wrath because he is holy it comes out on judging evil that is why we call god good God is the ultimate good, and his wrath is justified because he alone is perfect. So friends, uh, just to give you an example, young adults, we meet on Wednesdays for a life group prayer meeting and sharing. There's a video we showed. What would you do if you had a wife who was about to give birth to your only son, and then some guy falls asleep, crosses the road, rams you in the car, and kills your wife and unborn son? How would you feel? normal human response would be anger sorrow and grief and he felt that but this youth pastor takes that and he says i don't want to die in this i don't want to lie in bed forever and just be self-pitied and what he does is i want to see god glorified in this and instead of wrath he reaches out to the man after two years prays with him mentors him and they become friends he meets with him regularly And the power of forgiveness, as both are saying, was just healing for all of us. See, the guy who hit them was not a bad guy, but he just fell asleep. And the husband had a right to be angry, but instead of holding on to that, he doesn't respond with wrath. He says, God, you're still God. And he responds with grace. And the video starts with those two having coffee and being friends like everyone else. And the power of forgiveness of God's healing is greater than our wrath friends i want to just tell you right now if you forget nothing else our wrath is never justified it's never justified god's wrath is and paul is saying we have a problem here because god is holy and he's he has a right to judge and guess what if you believe what david says in psalm 51 5 surely i was sinful at birth sinful from the time my mother conceived me our problem again is not that we need religion (laughs) Our problem is we have sin and we are dead. So what do we need to do? So session gets together at Thursday's meeting and we say, how do we get our church to be more alive? I know what we'll do. We'll have more worship and nice songs. That'll make dead people come alive. No, let's educate them. Let's get an educated sinners and let's educate them. Maybe knowledge will help them get alive. No, see, it's not religion. It's not information, it's not even inspiration. What you and I need, can you say this with me? Transformation. We don't need information or adjustments. We need life. We need transformation. We need a resurrection. And what Jesus Christ does is he gives us this opportunity to go over from dead sin to be made alive. And so look at what Paul says. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, best words in the Bible. (laughs) We're sin, we're dead, dead, we're in transgression. Verse 4, but because of God's great love for us. If you did not know that God loves you, let this verse speak to you. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Christians, you're not better people, you are alive. You are made alive in Christ. You and I in Christ, we're not simply just nicer people, because there's, I know a lot of non-Christians who are nicer than Christians. But in God's view, we have been made alive. And this is why God says the antidote is this. It is his kindness. It is his grace. Um, Max Lucado says this. I love this quote. Let me just share this with you. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist, Warren Buffett. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. So Paul says this, this is this incredible gift. We were dead And God resuscitates us with his own son going to the cross. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. How many of you like gifts, free gifts? Come on, don't be, don't be, don't be proud and be like, oh. we all love free gifts. You know, actually my, my pleasure is when I put on old pants, right? And you, you, you look in the pocket, you like, you find a $10 bill. Like, I forgot about that. You know, anyway, we love gifts. And a lot of you and I, we struggle with this idea that we've got to try harder. We've got to work for our worth. Maybe God would like me better. Maybe I find my meaning in life if I succeed in my job. Maybe if I, if I have enough friends or maybe if I have that house, I will find purpose and meaning. Some of you are finding righteousness in your economy based on your efforts. And what God is saying to you today is your worth, your value, your salvation, it's a free gift. You can't contribute to it at all. You could only humbly receive it. I don't know how many of you grew up in church thinking, if, since I've been going to church my whole life, I'm pretty good but look what Paul says it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast you know how you know you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and grace what do you boast in if you boast in I go to church and I know the Bible you're boasting in your works see what a Christian boasts in when we're dead and made alive this is what I boast in I genuinely boast in because I know how wretched I am And i know how wretched i was and i know how much i struggle with sin now i boast in the grace of jesus christ lord how can you love me so you are my righteousness church i want to ask you what do you boast in is it in your accomplishments is it because god you should be happy to have me but you know how you know you get the gospel of grace when you look at grace of Jesus Christ, it melts you, and it humbles you, and you realize it's not religion that saves me. It's not me trying harder, but it is I, I was dead, and you reached out, and you made me alive. Church, I want us to reach out and say, Jesus, you alone, I want to boast in. Let me die. Let my efforts die that you may live. So let me, it doesn't end there. Let me end with this. So what are the applications? Just a few quick applications. Number one, let this drive your worship as opposed to guilt. (laughs) I have to go to church. I haven't been to worship in four weeks. I have to go to work. Let grace of Jesus Christ drive your worship. When someone saves you, it makes me want to honor them. You see that video? When someone lays their life for us, we want to recognize them, right? Memorial Day. How much more when God of heaven who is infinite steps down and dies for you and I Because of grace and that makes me want to drive worship and love him I'm, not worshiping for my benefit. I want to worship because he is amazing Two, Examine your heart church. Where is your boast? I'm a pretty religious guy or is it I'm a wretched man with no good to give but God is good and he gives me new life, and he gave me new chance, and I didn't deserve it. Three, verse ten. Can you read this with me? Uh, well, let me read it, but read, follow along. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to do. Here's a final application. Wait a minute. I thought Paul said we can't contribute to our works. And why is he telling us to do good works? Because of this. You are saved by grace. Now you can do good works. And this good works means this. When Paul says you are workmanship, it literally is the root word where we get the word poem. You are God's beautiful creation. Just humor me, can you say this? I am God's beautiful creation. You are God's handiwork. And what were you created to do? You and I were not created so we could go to heaven when we die. That is so shallow. That is not the kingdom of God that's part of it but you and i in christ were not saved only to go to heaven but you were saved so that you could be co-creators with god creating beauty in this world fighting injustice bringing the lost to christ working against the darkness that's why the church is here amen in other words we're not here to just meet once a once a week sunday that is boring We were made 24-7 to be his handiwork, to partner with God because we've been saved by grace to bring his beauty back into a sinful world. That is why we do outreach, that is why we do Compton, that's why we do share with neighbors, that's why we love others even if they spit on us. This is why grace of God is so powerful as opposed to, you better start working hard I'm not going to pray for you or, or you're not good enough. But God says, you're good enough. Therefore, live out this grace. That's incredible to me. The grace of God is amazing because we didn't deserve it. Would you join me in a prayer?